All right, John chapter 15, um, begin reading in verse 1. Um, John 15 is the, the vine dresser, the vine, um, something we don't like to look at a lot of times because we don't like to be pruned, we don't like to be disciplined. Um, but if we're going to talk about the goodness of God, we have to talk about all aspects of the goodness of God. And there are things in our life that does not need to be there. So the goodness, if, if we talk about the goodness of God, it's not that He overlooks the things in our life that need to come out, right? If He was allowing and just letting it all be free willy-nilly, would that be goodness? Would it? Would that be goodness? No, because there are things that are not of Him in us, right? And He, a consuming fire, wants to burn that out of us so that we are a pure bride, right? And so we're going to look at the goodness of God. We also have negative connotations when we think about the discipline of God. We think uh, bad things, I guess. We think that He strikes us down. We think He's just waiting to um, give us some sickness or give us a car wreck so that we can finally get the discipline of God. And those are all negative connotations as well. So we want to look at what is the correct way that God disciplines, right? Um, And if He is a good God, then why would He spite us? (laughs) Right? And so let's look at that, and let's look at it in a healthy way. It says, I am the true sprouting vine. Again, I'm in the Passion Version. I have the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is... My father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. Now that sounds a little bit different than what we think about a lot of times, right? Because it says, if it is not, have you ever been to a, um, a place where they work on plants, a nursery of, t- of sorts, or go to like a uh, pecan orchard or a peach orchard, and they're trying to save a branch, right? Um, we just had an oak tree, big, huge, live oak tree uh, that got split during the ice storm. We finally got it cleaned out of my yard this week, finally, because uh, it was so huge. Um, me and Brent and Glenn knocked out a lot of it, and then what was left, I had to get somebody to come and get it for me. But <clears throat> there was um, Julie's um, sister-in-law was in last week, and they live... Um, at the around Biloxi, and so if you ever been around Biloxi, they got beach and oak trees, right? So it's like Southern Belle versus meets beach, right? And so they got all instead of palm trees, they got all those live oaks. And she said, whenever the last hurricane hit all those, they had a lot of damage to them. But um, there was one that's been there for about a thousand years, I think, and um, that they, you know, they do things to prop it up and to keep it from dying, right? And she was out there looking at ours and it split right down the middle. She said, I bet those people down there in South Mississippi can come here and heal that thing and get it going. I said, no, I'm ready to get rid of it. <laughs> but the point is, we just want to throw it away. Right? Burn it up. Get rid of it. I don't want to take the time that it's going to take to restore this. Right? And Jesus saying, I will take the time to graft that thing back in and prop it up and see that it gets grafted back into that, right? 
That is the patience of our Father. That's the patience of Jesus, right? And it says, The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and your branches as you live in union with me as your source fruitless unfruitfulness will stream from within you. From where? Within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, my words, what? My what? Words. So if you're in life union with me, there's something powerful about his word, right? My words live powerfully within you. Then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. When your lives bear abundant what? Fruit. He's after fruit, right? Not after appearance of fruit. He's not after appearance of a lot of bushes. He's after the appearance of fruit. You demonstrate you're my true disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands for I continually live nourished and empowered by His love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience, the same joy He experiences, will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrating when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I've never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master's doing. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last. Because whatever you ask of my Father for my sake, He will give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. Think about that. The fruit that is produced from that life that is springing up from within, that fruit, it says, will bring life. It won't die. It brings life. It multiplies, so to speak. How do we get new apple trees? It has and it has to go into the ground and die and it multiplies again. Right? He has given you this example that people should be able to pick your fruit because when they do, it is life to them and it has seed. Remember in Mark chapter 4, he says that if you don't get this parable, you won't get any other thing that I'm telling you about the kingdom. The kingdom he compares to is a man scattering seed. Why? It is to produce so much fruit. 
the fruit in your own life and the fruit of those around you. Right? So, what does this passage say about God? Command to obey? That's a good one. You must remain in life union with me. Think about that as I think about the manna from heaven. He gave them what they needed just for that day. If they tried to skirt some over for the next day, it wasn't, right? And he says, if you remain in life union with me, you're going to listen to my word. Jesus is the bread of life, right? So if he is our manna, he gives us word every day. But a lot of times we're still living off the word from Sunday when we went to church instead of getting in that intimate place of getting the word on our own and be in that secret place of intimacy day after day. And this is the intimacy he's talking about that whenever you pray, you get what you ask for, not that you're living on that same word from Sunday. Right? So it is a word that you live off of daily. You are my daily bread, right? We sing that song, you are my daily bread, but yet the most time we eat it is on Sunday, right? If the only time we ate was on Sundays, then I would not have this, right? This, I got this from Monday through Saturday. Especially last night, I ate a bucket of ice cream. <laughs> Not just a bowl. <laughs> but it's just so good. That bluebells does me good. I hope. <laughs> oh, that's a commercial for bluebell. Y'all can send me some commission. <laughs> so, Jesus is the vine. We have the vine dresser in this. And then we have we producing fruit. And it is an illustration of discipline. It is an illustration of how he disciplines us. Notice in any of this, he's not giving us like, I'm going to come out there and whoop the snot out of you, right? It's very patient. But there is some discipline that needs to take place according to what he's saying. If you're going to bear the fruit that I want you to bear, there are some things that has to be cut off. Right? There's some things that's got to be peeled back. Right? And he has been peeling things for me for a long time and will continue to peel those things for me until I am purified. Right? That's why I think we're going to be in there forever is because we're still going to be... We can't go to the depths of God. Right? And we have all these questions on this side of heaven and we're saying, well, why didn't he do this? Why Bro, we ain't even scratched the surface yet. Like, he is inexhaustible, right? And, and the things that if we knew about ourselves, they're steadily being stripped away if we are heeding to the Word, right? That's what he's getting at here, right? So just as Adam and Eve, what did they do whenever they sinned? How did they hide? What did they put over Fig leaves, right? So they put the fig leaves around them to appear not to be what anymore? Not appear naked anymore, right? What did Paul say? Religion is form without power. We'll come together. We can have lots of numbers. We can grow a big church. We can be corporate American church where we got multi-campuses and we can... 
feel all those things. Not say, I'm not calling any of them out. I'm not saying that any of them hadn't had a word from the Lord to do that and they're not doing it right. I'm just saying, we seem to want to get that in our mindset and multiply that instead of multiplying word and fruit, right? So what happens is, is we put on the appearance of growth. We do that in our own personal lives, right? We appear to want to put on growth like... Well, look what I read this week, or look what I did this week, or look what I watched this week, or, or all these things, right? And we try to put on these things that says, I'm way up here. But there's no fruit coming from your life, right? So we can't walk around claiming we know all these truths, we know about grace, but the minute somebody does something to us, we do not show them grace. That is not fruit. That is the appearance of a form of religion without power, and grace enables you to do that. So we're denying the power of what He gave us, right? So we do that same thing. We've been hiding ourselves behind our fig leaves, so to speak, to cure, to, to appear like we got some kind of growth, right? But all the while not producing the fruit. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said that same thing to them. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but in the inside there's nothing but dead man bones because he was looking at the fruit. Right? He's looking for the fruit. So the fruit, notice, the fruit is something that can be measured. Why? It's measured by our people picking from that fruit. That's how it's measured. So again, we can come every Sunday and Wednesday. And we can get a lot of knowledge about grace, about who we are in Christ, about our identity. But if it never transfers to the place of allowing Him to let that strip us off of those old ways because I have been, Galatians 2.20, co-crucified with Christ. I have died with Him and now behold, I live with Him. If I have not died to those things because of what His Word told me, that is no longer me, then it will not produce the fruit that somebody can pull off of my tree. And when they pull that fruit off of my tree, it has seed in it that's now going to bring them life. That whenever you walked into the room and they were sad and depressed, after they ate from your fruit, they now feel lifted up because He props the branch up. Right? He props the branch up. He doesn't go in there and condemn that person. Or He does not leave that person alone. And you're carrying him wherever you go. So therefore, the, the, to know the fruit is to see what is being picked. Right? A lot of times we say, well, I'm looking at the fruit. I don't see nothing. But we're looking at an outward appearance a lot of times even when we say that. Because the fruit is seen by how it's picked, not by how it looks on the tree. I've got some nice looking apples before and when I bit into them they're mushy and grainy. I hate them things. I chunk them. Look good till you taste it. It's, so the measure is when they pull your fruit and they taste it, is it bringing life? Or is it bringing, want to spit it out, so to speak. Okay? That's what he's getting at in this passage, okay? 
So I want to look at that a little bit deeper and we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus did. In verse 3 of this passage, that word clean is the same thing as prune. So prune and clean is used back and forth in verse 3. Um, so what He's doing is when He's pruning you, He's cleaning you. Those things that don't need to be there, that's what He's doing. He's washing that out. Alright? And so how does that happen? He does it through His Word. Right? And I mentioned before we started, a lot of times we think, oh, well, it's those circumstances. God let this happen. Like I had this talk with that lady I told you my, the other day, um, this week actually. And what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Why am I getting this? Why am I sick? I can't get well. What am I doing wrong? Right? And we view a situation that has come into our life as the discipline of God. Now, am I saying He can't use situations? No, he can use the situation, but I don't believe he brought sickness on somebody to, call, to get you to open your eyes. However, when he uses the situation that has come into your life, either by your own free will or the free will of others or just the free will of the nature of this thing because we're eating and consuming things that we probably shouldn't, which causes things like cancer and things like that. It is the fallen nature, the fallen world, right? So... Like bluebell ice cream. No, that's pure, brother. There ain't nothing wrong with that. That's pure stuff. It's got eggs. It's got milk. Got everything you need in that bucket. Mine even had nuts in it last night. It was that Millennium Crunch. Woo! Good. It even had chocolate. Chocolate's good for your heart. Good fruit. So, no, we can't say that one. Ha! <laughs> um... But even think about this. What about Jonah and the whale? It was his free will that brought him to the whale. But what was the situation doing? It got him to hear the voice of God. Every time, even if he uses our situation, Romans 8, 28, it will bring all things together for your good. Not that he caused the bad things, but he will even use the bad things so that you can what? Hear his voice. It's all about the voice. Notice this whole thing in John 15 was about communion with him. It was not about Sunday and Wednesday. It was not about how many times you've been to church. It was about the intimate communion you have daily. It's, you have to live upon that word daily. That's what he's getting at. That's how you're pruned, but that's also how you live. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's trying to get us to see. Okay? So, I'm going to pass out a couple passages. James 1.21. That was my introduction, by the way. <laughs> James 1.21. Got it. Uh, Hebrews 12.7-8. Proverbs 14.4. Right, I'll do the rest. Alright, James one twenty one says But this is why we abandon everything morally impure in all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a simple spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Mm. It says the word she used in that translation was, I love it, absorb. We absorb the Word of God. Right? So we're consuming it, in other words. Right? We're consuming it inside of us till the seed of that Word is implanted and then it begins to sprout life from within. Is that what he said in John 15? Right? 
So James 1.21 here, he's saying we absorb that so that we are living and being, what does James say? Doers of the Word. How do you become... John 15 is sitting there saying if you obey my commands. How do we do that? You can self-discipline yourself all you want, but eventually you're going to get tired of that. And you may succeed for a few days, few weeks, sometimes even a few months. But you're going to eventually fall flat on your face because you were not designed to do it on your own. You were designed to have the living Word be in you and you live from that place. So how do you become doers of the Word? You receive, right? Absorb the Word she used. The implanted Word of God inside until it lives out. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All right. So Hebrews 12, 7 through 8. Just to wonder, this is just a reminder passage. All right. Fully embrace God's correction as part of the training. All right. Stop right there. Fully embrace what? God's correction. Some of your pat, uh, translation may say discipline. Right? We don't like that word. Right? Because um, we think of corporal punishment most of the time we hear the word discipline. Um, or that's what they think of when they walk in my room at school and they have discipline slip. Um, but he says fully embrace this discipline, fully embrace this correction. Now tell them what. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. Who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline and validation of authentic sonship. For if we had never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. It only proves we are strangers, not sons. What did he say in John 15? I have never called you servants. You are my friends, my intimate friends, right? Jesus is saying that, but he points them to Papa and saying, you are Papa's kids, right? And you know you're Papa's kids when you're doing this, right? So is this a works-based salvation? Nope. It is all the things that we have read so far has been about what? Receiving something. And when you receive that something, it is a natural release from you that that take place. You see that? Everything that we've looked at has been receiving. Not about a works. Not about a striving. It's been about receiving and living. Okay, so look at this, and I want everybody to look Luke chapter 9 with me. And we're going to look at a couple of these passages because this is Jesus and how he responded to his disciples here on earth. Did they always get it right? No, if you've been watching The Chosen, it's pretty funny. They look like us, right? And uh, by the way, the season finale of season 2 is tonight. So if you hadn't caught up, catch up the season and you can watch the finale tonight at 7 o'clock. But there are so many times that they get it wrong. Now, remember, Jesus is the exact replica of who? Papa. If God disciplines his children and Jesus is the exact replica of the Father, let's see how he disciplined his kids. Okay? So, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus summoned together his 12 apostles and imparted to them authority over every demon and the power to heal every disease. Then he commissioned them to proclaim God's kingdom to heal the sick, 
to demonstrate that the kingdom had arrived. And he sent them out. He gave them instructions. Take nothing extra on your journey. Go as you are. Don't carry a staff, backpack, food, money, not even change of clothes. Whatever home welcomes you as guests, remain there and make it your base of ministry. And wherever your ministry is rejected, you are to leave that town, shake the dust off your shoes as a testimony before them. The apostles departed and went into the villages with the wonderful news of God's kingdom, and they healed diseases wherever they went. So, the twelve are sent. Right? He sent them out how many? Two by two. So how many groups we got? Six, Six different groups going off. Y'all multiplication good on Sunday morning. Division. So he sends them out two by two. They're going out into all these villages and all these things and he releases authority to them that does what? They can do what? Heal the sick, right? They can cast out demons and they can proclaim loudly the word that the word is, the kingdom is here now. Not that it's coming, it's here now. Right? Jesus even says later, the kingdom is within you. Right? So, here he is, he sends them out, and I want us to scroll down because there are several things that happens in Luke chapter 9. Um, he feeds the 5,000. Um, he prophesies about his resurrection. He talks to some of them about what it really means to follow Jesus, that you can't look back, and all those type passages about what it really means to follow me. Okay? But I want us to skip on over. This is also the transfiguration passage. But let's keep going until we get to about 46. So here they are. They done seen a lot of things. They done a lot of things. Now listen to them. The disciples begin to argue and become preoccupied over who would be the greatest one among them. Fully aware of their innermost thoughts, Jesus called a little child to his side and said to them, Now, obviously they about to get rebuked. <laughs> obviously they finna have some discipline. Did Jesus whoop them right then? Did he, knowing their innermost thoughts, say, come here, let me slap some sense into you, boy? Is that what he said? No, he called a what over? A child. He says, if you tenderly care for this little child on my behalf, now remember what all they have been doing. They comparing war stories. <laughs> right? Boy, you should. They weren't all together. They were two by two. So these two are saying this is what happened with us and they all over here saying this is what happened with us and and well this healing stage five cancer it, you all y'all here was a ward off that baby. We we heal stage five cancer, so we better than y'all. You know. Right? <laughs> Things like that, right? It's not necessarily that's not the conversation. But that's what they're doing. They're comparing each other, right? My kids this week, one day they were comparing one another. Well, I already took out the trash. Well, I did the dishes. I said, the kingdom is not about comparison, guys. <laughs> and neither is this house. Y'all all going to work. <laughs> the kingdom is not about comparison. That's what he's trying to get them to see. So they got all these war stories and they're thinking, big things happen with us. Wait till we tell them what we just did. We saw it happen with Jesus, but now it's happening through us. All because we said Jesus' name, and look at what's happening. 
I'm glad he gave us that magic word because if he didn't, boy, we'd be crap out of luck. But now look what happened, right? So he says, and if you care for me, you're honoring my Father who sent me. The one who is least important in your eyes is actually the most important one of all. What do you think they did? Right? Mouth fell open like, how do you know what we was thinking? <laughs> right? Saying, knowing my, their innermost thoughts. He said that. And so they're probably first thinking, how do you, man, we can't do nothing right. He knows everything we think. Right? That's probably the first thing in their mind. But then he's really cutting to the heart like, oh yeah, well, okay. I got it. There's no comparison here. We all were sent by Jesus, right? We the twelve, we the chosen ones. So we get it, all twelve of us are the same. Now look at the next word. Then John said, Master, we found someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he doesn't follow you as we do. Notice, we, right? Oh yeah, we got that, Jesus. Alright, we got it. We all the same here. We the twelve. We better than everybody else. So it's Jesus and us now, right? They not included. They wasn't there the day, Jesus, that you sent us all out. We the twelve. We got sent out. Homeboy right here, he wasn't he wasn't with us. He was not with us. And we caught him over there trying to cast out demons in your name. Now what they looking for? You right. You go tell that boy he needs to straighten up. What did Jesus respond with? You shouldn't have hindered him. For anyone who is not against you is your friend. Again, twice in this little small paragraph, they think they got it. They need rebuking, but did Jesus do it gently or harshly? Very gently. But it was a harsh word, wasn't it? Not harsh, but hard to swallow. Like, arrogance gets in the way and pride gets in the way and we think we got this thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, boy, that's not how the kingdom operates. <laughs> right? And what does he do? By a word, trims them back. Right? By the word. Now they had a choice in that matter, either receive the word, right, and allowed themselves to be pruned, because you gotta remember what's about to take place in Acts. They're about to start this whole thing off, right? They're about to set the world on fire. And so Jesus knows I've got to get this out of them, or else they're gonna go nuts. Right? Now, that's not the only time. Keep reading. So Jesus let nothing distract him from departing for Jerusalem because the time for him to be lifted up drew near, full of passion to complete his mission. Now, he sent messengers ahead of him as envoys to a village of the Samaritans, but as they approached the village, the people turned them away. Now imagine what they're doing. Remember, remember when we're watching The Chosen? They all the time ready to do something with that cruel Roman Empire, Right? And they're ready to just slap around the religious people because they can't stand them either, right? And they constantly Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that, right? So, 
All these miracles have done happen through Jesus. Now all these miracles are happening amongst them. And now Jesus just gave them the word that, hey, if they're not against you, they're on our side, brother. And so they're like, everybody should be on our side. They show up to this town, and what happens? Don't bring Jesus up in here. We don't want no part of that. Now, what's wrong with the disciples? They mad. They hot. Look at their response. When the disciples, Jacob and John, realized what was happening, they returned to Jesus and said, Lord, if you wanted to, you could command fire to fall down from heaven just as Elijah did and destroy all these wicked people. Notice how we always try to get a word in Scripture to justify our bad decisions. Don't. Well, it was in the Bible, but you ain't reading it with the right heart. You're not reading it with the right lenses. And so it was good for Elijah to call down fire from heaven. But obviously it wasn't good for them. What was Jesus ushering in? A kingdom of grace. Right? And so we try to justify our decisions through the Word, try to get one little old Scripture to line up with our bad thought, and we form theology off of that, by the way. And you destroy all these wicked people, so they're justifying in their minds, this is how we can kill them, right? And then we'll be set, right? We'll start this thing off right. We'll clean slate, get rid of all these bad people and just be us, Right? Now, they could have used some more scriptures to justify that. They could have used the flood. They could have used the Tower of Babel. They could have used all those things, right? But Jesus shuts them down. He says, Jesus rebuked them sharply, saying, again, how is he rebuking them? With his what? Words. By saying. Don't you realize what spews from your hearts when you say that? The Son of Man did not come to destroy life but to bring life to earth. So they went to another village instead. Them boys done got knocked down about 20 levels in the last three paragraphs. Right? All by the Word. Right? Now, most of us, if we had started off this little thing with these 12, and we seen it was that much trouble when we send them off by themselves without me. Right? Because these three things was while he was with them, right? He ain't even went over the things that they did while they were gone, right? We don't even have a record of that. But they, you know they didn't do everything perfect, right? They didn't even do everything perfect when they in his presence. So you know they didn't do it while they was out there on their own. And he didn't even, we don't know, but it doesn't say that he even said anything to them about that. But we know that while he's in their, in their presence, when they get back with him, three times already he's done, he done brought them back down to a new level, right? Of humility. By his word. Now, for most of us, we would say that was a complete failure, right? We all got together this morning. I commissioned you and I say, all right, we're going to Pecanland Mall like we did a couple of Christmases ago. And this is what we're going to do. And we create such a mess over there. They get the guards and stuff to say, y'all got to get out of here. Y'all crazy people, get out. Right? And then we get back here and we start going over what we did and be like, why would you do that? Or why would you say that? Or why would you do that? And we'd be like, we ain't doing that again. That was a mess. Right? That'd be something like that. 
except on a whole, it's on times a hundred, right? And what does Jesus do immediately in chapter 10? Guess what He does? Most of us would say that's a failure. I can't trust y'all, obviously. So let's get some more knowledge. Let's have some more Bible studies. And maybe in a couple of years, I can maybe trust you to go to the store. Right? Immediately after this, starting in chapter 10 is where we're going. It goes right into chapter 10 and says, now he's going to send out 70. Who does that? (laughs) Now he's sending out 70 two by two. Right? If he didn't have enough messes to clean up as it was on 12 of them, now he's sending out 70 of them with the same commission. Now, I want to bring this home because a lot of times we think we got to have it all perfect. Or a lot of times we think we got to have that knowledge or we got to have enough Bible studies under us before we actually reveal the fruit outside. And look at what he says in Proverbs. In Proverbs 14.4, who had that one? <laughs> Did anybody hear that? No? Let me read it to you. The only stable, I heard Bill Johnson say this in the interview this week. Is that what I said for you the beginning of the week? The only clean stable is an empty stable. So if you want the work of an ox and to enjoy an abundant harvest, You'll have a mess or two to clean up. (laughs) He used that passage this week and some things that, you know, people like to talk bad about their church and everything. He says there's always going to be some messes when you're dealing with people, but we allow our people to make mistakes so we can guide that, right? And a lot of times we just want it all nice and neat. But the thing is, is that cemeteries are nice and neat and clean with flowers. But they're dead. You want to know what's messy? If we all walked out of the room and just let these little kids stay in here for about five minutes. You think they got a mess right now going on? You think they got some noise right now going on? You ain't seen nothing yet, Ham, when we all walk out of here and just let them do whatever. Right? We would have to move to a new location because there wouldn't be a location left. (laughs) Why? Life. Right? We can clean our house. It don't matter. Why are you cleaning it? Why are you cleaning it? Four small tornadoes come through that sucker and it looks like worse than when you started. Why? Life is happening inside that house. We've got all those lives and babies. And they're making mistakes and they're falling down and they're spilling stuff and they're doing this and that and they walking around with keys and they're trying to run outside and you running after them trying to catch them because you got a, a yard on fire out there full of wood, right? That's what we do with her. And it's messy, guys. It's messy. But the beautiful thing about it is whenever your children start saying things 
that you've been trying to implant into them, or they start, the fruit starts coming out of them, and you didn't have to lead them to do it, but they just automatically did it. We have to get that picture with the kingdom. As we grow, right? On Sundays, on Sundays, starting in the fall, we're going to move to a different location on Sunday mornings to hold more people. As we grow, we have to understand, we have to be patient. We have to be patient with little children. Jesus just said that with these children. He says, you think you got it all together? Let me show you. Right? We believe here it is very important for the children to be hearing the Word of God. Even if it doesn't look like they're paying attention, they're absorbing way more than you think. Right? And we have to be ready to be there, like He said, with a shovel and patiently cleaning out the mess as we're going the right direction. He says, so if you want the power of an ox and the abundant harvest, you've got to be ready to clean up a mess or two. So we can sit back like some churches and just say, you know what? We're done. We don't want to grow because we don't want the mess. We don't want the drama. We don't want all that stuff. So let's just say five and that's it and we're done. Or we can grow. But you got to all pick your shovel up and be ready to clean up some messes. And be patient with the mess. Right? You go in a stall and you just start slinging mess everywhere. You got a worse mess than you had before. Right? If I just went in there with a shovel or not a shovel and I used something different to pick that thing up with, I got a mess on my hand. Right? Some tools that I use to pick up the the, the nastiness, the mess, it may fall through it. So I want to make sure I got the right tools. Right? But I also don't want to go in there mad because I ain't got time for this. And I just start slinging stuff backwards. And when I turn around, two people had just come in to help me and I'm slinging it on in. Now I've got a huge mess. So patiently with our shovels, we're ready to work. Put our hands to the plow. And receive the correction as we get it. Patiently receiving others as they are so that we guide them to more truth. And receive our own correction so that we have the seed and the fruit that is being produced so that it is all seven days of the week, not just today. So let's pray. God, you're so good. You're so kind. You're so generous. You are better than anything we've ever hoped for or could even imagine. Father, we thank You for the, for the children in this room. We thank You, God, for their voices. For even their voices, even if they're crying out, as I heard last week, is better than some of the praises we call at church. Because they're coming from innocent hearts who just need some guidance. And it's not coming from a fake reality. And so, Father, we thank you for the children. We thank you, God, that you have called us together in this room. We also thank you that you called us to be light. And that you didn't call us to produce something that we didn't have, but you put in us what needed to be there, and you put yourself in us. 
and that is the light of the world. Yes, Jesus, we are nothing without you. And we do not deserve you. But we thank you that you gave us freedom. And that you didn't just say, hey, I'm here if you ever need me. But you put yourself in us to be one with you. And that your light so shine through us until the glory spread over this earth as the waters cover the sea. So I empower everyone in here this week, be made fresh and new. You have been co-crucified with Christ. And now you are joint heirs with Christ seated in heavenly places. That is your reality. Receive the word this week that is spoken over you that you receive correction where needed and life where needed. And that as you produce fruit this week, it will be, you will allow it to be picked and used for the kingdom and be multiplied. And when things get messy, don't forget, it's because you are living the life that He has called for you to do. Because Jesus, we realize that even cemeteries are in order. But we don't want to be men full of dead bones. We want to be alive full of your life. And so with that, we realize comes messes. And help us have the patience and endurance and the willingness to heed your voice even in our own life to be able to help our brothers and sisters along this journey until all of us have become one with you and one with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a good week.